We hope you enjoy listening to this podcast of St. Louis on the Air, brought to you by University College at Washington University. With undergraduate and graduate programs, part-time, evening, and online. University College at Washington University, offering world-class education within reach. Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. We'll learn a little later this month who has been elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame for 2019. It ends a long selection process, a process that usually inspires considerable debate. Fans discuss the worthiness of those who were and were not nominated. Often the debate centers on whether players suspected of using performance-enhancing drugs or PEDs should enter the hall. The discussion is one thing for fans, quite another for baseball writers who cast ballots. Derek Gould of the Post-Dispatch is one of them, and he joins me in studio. Derek, great to have you with us. Yeah, great to be here. Thank you very much for the invitation. Here we are talking baseball and what promises to be a snowy day. <laughs> yeah, typical St. Louis conversation, right? Really baseball is. never stops here. Well, let's talk a little bit about the process for the Hall of Fame. In a couple of days, a week or a little bit more, mm-hmm. they'll be announcing who made the Hall. What is that process like? So there's a ballot that goes out. There are, there are many avenues into mm-hmm. Cooperstown and the National Baseball Hall of Fame for players. The The one that I'm involved in, Um, is the ballot process, which is sort of the first, I guess, hurdle for players. And to have a ballot, you have to be a member in good standing of the Baseball Writers Association of America for 10 years. Um, It takes, you know, 10 years of being on the beat and working the beat to then earn a ballot. Then you vote. Um, You get that ballot early on in December. Um, players who are on the ballot have been retired for five years. How did they get there? How did they get on the ballot? Yeah, they've been retired for five years. They have a minimum of 10 years in the majors. And then there's a screening committee. Um, That committee has a lot of elasticity to its uh, standards. So, like, you will have guys on there that people will go, well, why is that guy on the Hall of Fame ballot? Well, he he meets the minimum standard requirements, and the committee puts him on there. That doesn't mean that he's going to get votes. Mm -hmm. Lots of players get on the ballot and don't get any votes, um, and they, they move off the ballot. The, the ballot comes out in early December, um, and you have 10 spots on your ballot. It's not an unlimited ballot. It's 10 spots. So the hall is basically asking you to vote for the most worthy members of this ballot. And if you have eight, you vote for eight. If you have 10, you vote for 10. If you think there are 14 players deserving, you vote for the 10 most worthy. Um, they're due by the new year. And a player needs 75% of the vote to, uh, to get induction into the Hall of Fame. They can be on the ballot now for 10 years as long as they meet the minimum requirement of 5% every year. Okay, so uh, we're down to the point now where I guess the players who have made it have already been selected, or is that uh, so, or been not named but selected? Well, yeah, I would imagine they're being counted right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the ballots have to be post-dated by December 31st, so... The uh, ballots are from all the eligible voters. About 400-plus voters um, are arriving, and they'll be counted up and uh, tabulated. They're probably in that process right now. What do you think of this process? I think it has some flaws. Um, I understand some of them. Um, I think overall it's hard to find where it's gone wrong. Um, There is a safety net of sorts because the hall does have what it calls veteran committees. And that's what elected Lee Smith here recently and Harold Baines here recently was a veterans committee. So players who do slip through 
the writers vote um, and don't get inducted still have a chance at being inducted later. And that, that's like the hope for Ted Simmons, you know, that eventually one of these veteran committees will stir and, and pay attention to his statistics and put him in the Hall of Fame. Um, I think one of the things that we've seen is, and this is a byproduct of the steroid era, is that there have been a glut of candidates, and that's really bunched up the ballot in such a way that you could look at it. This this ballot is arguably the strongest ballot ever. You could, um, depending on your view of certain statistics or certain careers, you could probably reasonably vote for 15 or 16 different players on this ballot and be within your right. Because it's limited to 10, I think, I personally have written about this, and I've gone to the hall and spoken to the hall about this, is I think they're asking us the wrong question. They should be asking us a question of, is this a Hall of Fame player, yes or no? And instead, what they're asking us is, who are the 10 most worthy players on this ballot? And therefore, you have to, you, you have to find some way to trim the ballot down. And I think that's a false question. I worry about um, what it, where it's led us. Are there specific uh, criteria for determining who's worthy? There are. Um, well, no, uh, other than the minimum requirements. But there are guidelines, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, and everybody has a different way of looking at this. I, I, I wanted to call this up before coming to talk to you. And the one that gets everybody's attention is number five on the you know, methods of election. And that's called the sportsmanship clause. And here's how it reads. It says, voting shall be based upon the player's record, playing ability, integrity, sportsmanship, character, and contributions to the team or teams on which the player played. That's the one that gets a lot of attention because it's different than other Hall of Fame votes, you know, than, than the football Hall of Fame, than, than the basketball Hall of Fame, than almost any other sports Hall of Fame. That one stands out. Baseball has specifically said for us to consider sportsmanship and character integrity as part of our votes. How people use, how voters use that clause there that we're given is different. Um, you know, some use it as a hard and fast rule to not vote for anybody suspected of using performance-enhancing drugs. Some don't use it at all, and say, you know, some of my really good friends write and say when we talk about this personally, you know, that uh, that they're not the morality police. They're baseball writers. They're not there to judge based on what a player did or did not do. They're there to, you know, to judge on the playing career. I think that my, my personal use of that clause is as a tool. I have to get a ballot that I think is 13, 14 people strong down to 10. Mm-hmm. So that is my hammer and chisel to knock off a few names. I can use the, the character and the integrity um, clause there, that sportsmanship clause, to whittle away my list down to 10. Have these criteria been in effect since the, uh, yeah, the, the whole thing started? Uh, pretty much, yeah. Yeah, since uh, the, well, since the 30s when the baseball writers started being involved in this. Who, who's behind that? The hall. The hall sets the mm-hmm. standards. Um, you know, the hall uh, governs uh, who does the voting and how the voting is done. Um, you know, some inside baseball here is that uh, a group of baseball writers um, several years ago went to the hall and proposed expanding the ballot to 12. Um, you know, just give us 12 names. Look, there, there are more players than ever for us to consider. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of worthy candidates. There's been a backlog because of the steroid era. 
we need more space to breathe. Um, you know, there's also 30 teams now, and when the 10 ballot person ballot started, there were not 30 teams. So let's have some expansion. Um, the hall, you know, tabled that suggestion. The hall controls it. A few years ago, when I was president of the Riders Association, we voted unanimously to make all of our ballots public. Um, we felt that you know transparency was important. We we request transparency in our jobs, so we figured we should offer it. We also wanted to open up the discussion, but also educate people on how the voting is done. And we felt that transparency was a big part of that. The hall. Um, we had to we had to come to a compromise um, because the hall didn't want to release all of the ballots. So now, the ballot appears with a little box, and every voter can check: yes, I want my ballot public, or no. And a vast majority now, reflective of the body of whole of whole at whole, uh, makes their ballot public, which is a big thing. I think. Which, which you have done. I mean, that's, yeah, you, every you, year. you've been very open about that. Yeah, it would be hard for me to advocate yeah. that <laughs> and not do it. <laughs> you, you talk about a backlog as a result of the steroid era. What what exactly do you mean by that? So, I mean, first of all, there was just a tremendous amount of statistics being put up, right? Okay, you think back mm -hmm. to 1998, um, you know, and some of the numbers that used to mean automatic uh, election, like almost like given. 300 hitters, right, that sort of thing. 3,000 3, hits, 500 yeah. home runs. Um, you know, all these numbers were just now wacky. I mean, we saw, you know, video game numbers going up. You think back to 98 with McGuire, Sosa going after it. And then, of course, all the power that followed um, until testing came into the game. And so you had how do you wrestle with these, you know, inflated numbers, these swollen players, and just the era in which they existed. Um, you know, you had Bonds who was – you know, Bonds, seven-time MVP, Roger Clemens, seven-time Cy Young winner, and they weren't getting the 75%. Like, those are first ballot Hall of Famers, except for they have the cloud over mm -hmm. them, right? So they weren't getting the 75 to leave the ballot and enter the hall, but they also weren't getting less than five to drop off the ballot. Mm -hmm. So there they've been for the entirety of those, you know, they may be there for the entirety of the 10 years. Well, there's two spots that are taking up you know, votes from other people. If they had graduated off into the hall or the hall had told us, well, we cannot vote on them because of, you know, whatever the PEDs, then they would be off the ballot and we can move on. But there's this this bunch, this this cluster of players that get support, but not quite enough to graduate mm -hmm. off the ballot. Uh, are you uh, in favor of Bonds and Clemens being uh, admitted to the hall? I have not uh, voted for them yet. Um, I want to say that yet is important. My approach to the two of them and others, um, you know, there are other players on the ballot, too, that have been connected to PEDs. My approach with them has been that um, if I have 10 names and they are two of them, then I will vote for them because it's a full ballot. Or if the hall puts their transgressions on the plaque then I will vote for them. Mm -hmm. If the hall puts the tra their transgressions on the plaque, um, I think that is true to the message of the hall, which is a museum um, as well as a hall of fame. So it's there to capture the history of the game and there to teach us a lesson of what shouldn't happen again, which baseball does really well. We can look back through baseball history and go, yeah, well, let's not let that stuff happen again. So if they put their transgressions on the plaque, I would be more inclined to vote for them. Um, I would also hope that that would lead to Pete Rose and Shoeless Jack, Joe Jackson being involved or being inducted in the hall. So those are my two spots. Um, this year, 
I came pretty close. This year I had about 12 names, um, and I had to decide between whether the final two spots on my ballot would go Bonds Clemens or would go Helton McGriff. And I went Helton McGriff. In terms of Bonds and Clemens, mm-hmm. has it been definitively proved that they used steroids? I mean, everybody says they know that they did, but do we really know? So it's a good question. Um, you know, there there is a preponderance of evidence and a tremendous amount of reporting that has gone into them. Both of them have fought to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bonds less so than Clemens. Clemens has been very forthright. Um, The evidence has stacked against Clemens considerably, including testimony and other reporting. Uh, I have approached this because I have, I'm not naive enough to think that there isn't already someone who used PEDs in the Hall of Fame. I'm not, I'm not blind to this. Sure. But the, I think of the ballot as if um, it's an article and my signature is if it's a byline. And if I can write in the paper with attribution that a player used PEDs or you know a preponderance of evidence supports that he used PEDs, then I feel I can vote that way as well. I cannot write rumor, innuendo, and suspension, suspicion in the paper. I can't. I have to have attribution. Um, and if I haven't reported or or peers haven't reported, you know, to the extent that you can safely say that this person has been linked to and used PEDs, then I don't think I can vote that way. Mm-hmm. Other people have different approaches. There are some folks who vote on susp- or don't vote on suspicion. We, we keep talking about Bonds and Clemens. Are there others out there who are at various places on the ballot who have the same stigma? Oh, sure. I mean, you know, it all depends on your varying degree. I mean, you know, here locally, you had Mark McGuire who admitted use. Um, he was on the ballot and didn't never generated enough support. And now he's if he ever comes up again, it'll be in the Veterans Committee. So you had McGuire, you have Sosa, obviously. Um, Gary Sheffield was linked to, uh, you know, PEDs through bonds. Um, the Mitchell Report mentioned some players who were, um, you know, connected to PEDs. You had, you know, some inference with Pudge Rodriguez, who has been inducted um, and, and fought the, uh, the allegations that he gave. Um, you know, or the the allegations against him. So, yeah, you have different pockets all over now, and that's that's the product of the era that we're in. The, these are the players who played in the heart, the ones on the ballot right now who retired five years or more ago. These are the players who are, you know, were right there in the heart of the era before there was testing. So it, it was the wild, wild west in a lot of ways. You mentioned uh, Pete Rose and Shoeless Joe Jackson. Their only route, as would be the case for McGuire, would be through the Veterans Committee? No, their their mm-hmm. only route would be for uh, Major League Baseball to drop their um, their ineligibility, and then they could be considered. Both of them are, are, in the, are on the ineligible list. So they've never appeared on a ballot. The, uh, the, the Pete Rose story is, I think, pretty well known. Yeah. It was a gambling thing that uh, he was involved in. But you mentioned, you know, putting uh, putting the asterisk in or putting something on the plaque. Yeah, that, that certainly was mentioned a lot with Pete Rose. My God, how can a guy like that with his numbers not be in the Hall of Fame? Yeah, exactly. And 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 a plaque would be a, a testament to what went wrong. You know, um, I've talked to folks with the Hall and other sports writers about this notion, and they they dismiss it because they suggest, well, why would Barry Bonds show up to hold a plaque that says? you know, what his transgressions were. And it's like, oh, that's fine. This, this is a museum as well. Like, you know, this, this is a place where 20 years from now, 40 years from now, 100 years from now, our, our great grandkids will go and they will learn something about baseball 
and you know you don't that that means warts and all you know i mean it, like you know the, the color barrier was broken you know many decades too late you know but we know that because of you know because baseball tells us it was a mistake and it celebrates the hero jackie robinson you know and branch ricky here you know the guy who has a rich history with st louis they celebrate the people who change that but they also acknowledge that it was way too late then we know that because the hall tells us have you ever talked to bonds or clemens about this about the hall of fame yeah um i have that's a good question i have not um I have spoken to them in the course of, uh, of reporting. Obviously, you know, sure. uh, Roger Clemens pitched against the Cardinals quite a bit there mm-hmm. when the, at the height of the, uh, the Astros-Cardinals rivalry. Um, so spoke to him then. I have attempted to talk to Bonds about, um, about, about, you know, about, I guess, about this, the cloud over mm-hmm. him or his thing. Um, but he is, he's very good at parrying and thrusting and ignoring he can be difficult, I, I am told. Yeah, yeah. He uh, he's one of my great regrets um, as a sports writer because I was a young sports writer uh, covering baseball, um, doing sidebar detail for the Rocky Mountain News in Denver, and I was assigned to do a Bonds sidebar that day. Um, and I went down and uh, I attempted to talk to Bonds. He proceeded to spend about five, six, seven minutes telling me why he wouldn't talk to me which I thought was very curious because he then had already talked to me and had spent more time explaining why he wouldn't than the interview would have taken. And so I recorded it because he didn't say it was off the record. And at the end of his spiel, I said, thanks for your time. And, and I was like, all right, I'll go write this. He just, he just commented, so we're fine. But my biggest regret was the president was there at the ballpark that day, and it would have been tremendous to go and get a comment from the president about bonds and have a no comment from Barry Bonds. And I missed that chance. That's that's a great regret of my career. Well, and you won't have that chance again. No, I won't have that chance again. We we have a caller. Dennis is uh, is going to join us. He has a question for you or a comment. Let's let's bring him into the conversation. Dennis, go ahead. You're on the air. Yeah. uh, Well, my name is Dennis Clancy, and I used to see Rick when I was working at the Post. And uh, so... Uh, but at any rate, my suggestion is Elston Howard, and I know it's. We, I've actually, I think, talked to you about it before. Uh, I just feel like uh, he was the first, you know, African American, and then basically he did everything that the New York Yankees needed, and and then invented the donut. And I think he was the guy that came up with the the, the hook'em horns for how many outs there are for the outfielders. He just did everything they needed. Dennis, thank you, for, thank you for the call. What is it about catchers? We talk about Ted Simmons and Elston Howard. But... Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, they, you know, in some ways, and and third base too is also you know stuck in that it's just an underrepresented position. I think um, baseball as a whole has a hard time capturing uh, what a catcher brings to the ball field. Uh, you know, and also mm-hmm. what what does hurt some, and I, I'm not quite sure if it would hurt Elston Howard, though I could see how it would. But what it does definitely hurt Ted Simmons and uh, and did Tim Raines for a long time and did Alan Trammell for a long time is this notion of being the second best at your position when you're playing at the same time as one of the best ever. Yeah. So Tim Raines, really good leadoff hitter, 
unfortunately, his contemporary was Ricky Henderson, who was arguably one of the best baseball players of all time. Sure. Same with Ted Simmons. He was in the league at the time of Johnny Bench. Johnny Bench is widely considered the greatest to ever play the position. You know, so Ted Simmons always compared to that. I think we're going to have a reckoning with catcher coming up here um, in the in the next few years, and it's going to be Yadier Molina that leads it. it yeah. He's got a Hall of Fame career. He's not going to have the counting numbers of a bench, but he's going to have the reputation of shaping and molding and dictating and influencing games that is going to catapult him to Cooperstown and really lead to a renaissance of understanding about catchers. How would you compare him to Ted Simmons? Oh, Yadier? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I didn't, I didn't see Ted Simmons play, so I'm going off of my colleague Rick Hummel and actually talking to Ted Simmons and everything like that. Ted Simmons was a tremendous offensive uh, catcher who handled the position well. Yadier Molina is the best defensive catcher of his generation and widely regarded, um, whether it's from pitchers, you know, like uh, Joey Votto, the first baseman for the Cincinnati Reds, one of the best hitters of his generation, told me, he said when he goes up to bat against, you know, against the Cardinals, he doesn't feel like it's him against the pitcher. He always feels like it's him against Yadier Interesting. because of how Molina calls the game, because of how Molina reads uh, reads hitters. You know, Shelby Miller, who recently signed with the Texas Rangers, but was a young pitcher with the Cardinals for a long time, he told Bernie Miklas, and it's one of those, you know, I heard him say it, and it's like, oh, I wish I would have gotten that quote. But he told uh-huh. Bernie Miklas, he goes, I think Yadier Molina can see into the soul of the hitter. <laughs> and that's something that uh, he has a great reputation. Sandy Alomar Jr. told me that uh, the Yadier Molina has changed how young catchers will play the position for the next generation because of his style. I'm going to bring in one more caller, but it will have to be quick. Mark in Potosi, uh, please make a quick uh, question or comment, please. Yes. Uh, I just want to say that I really think that uh, the uh, question about whether there uh, anybody that has been uh, pretty well tied into performance-enhancing drugs should just be off the ballot. I mean, we're talking about character, we're talking about morality, we're talking about, you know, well, you want to try to squeeze them in? I don't think you should be doing that. I mean, this is something that you're trying to uh, put on somebody. We've got it, Mark. Uh, Time's getting away from us, uh, but we've got the point. Yeah, I I mean, I think I have a lot of of colleagues and a lot of peers who feel that same way, that they just, they dismiss it. Um, But it has to be proven. It has to be proven, and once it's proven, they still dismiss it. I mean, like Manny Ramirez, you asked about names on the ballot. Manny Ramirez is on the ballot here. Mm -hmm. He was suspended twice for positive drug Mm -hmm. tests. He will still get Hall of Fame votes. You know, people, one of my really close friends in baseball writing, who I think is one of the best in the business of what he does, voted for Manny Ramirez. And his explanation was, I am not, a, I'm not, co- I'm not a morality police. I'm not going to, you know, yeah. work the beat that way. And different people have different views on it. I, I have to use a tool to get it from 14 to 12, 12 to 10. And this is the tool I have. Yeah. We've got less than a minute. Uh, what are you thinking about the team of the Cardinals this year? Less than a minute. Well, yeah. uh, they're, they, mm-hmm. they've made some significant moves. Um, Paul Goldschmidt is one of the five best hitters probably in the National League. They have him for one year. Um, they added Andrew Miller, who for a long time has been the lefty, um, the best lefty reliever, and he has redefined how that position is used. These are positive moves that have closed the gap on the Cubs and the Brewers. I think they have a, it, probably a roster that right now would contend for the division. What I find most interesting about them is how many eggs they've put in the 2019 basket. This is a team that has a lot of expiring contracts. If it doesn't work, 
they can move on, and that can meet, lead to a lot of drama this season if it doesn't work. Well, can't wait for it to start. It's yeah. not that far away. You're already talking spring training. That's just a couple of weeks away. Yes, sir. Just I, I'm, I'm less than a month away from reporting there myself. All righty. Well, have a great season, uh, Derek. Great to see you. And yeah, thank uh, th you. Th thanks for being with us. Baseball writer for the Post-Dispatch, Derek Gould.